0: Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Dr. Shamini Jan is a psychologist, scientist, and social entrepreneur. She is the founder and director of the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, QI a collaborative accelerator that connects scientists, healing practitioners, innovators, and social entrepreneurs to forward the science and practice of healing. Qi was formed through Dr. Jan's deep, des- deep desire to bring key stakeholders together to create a coherent and effective movement to move us beyond models of disease thinking and the decades of the brain into the study of systems-based healing processes and personal and societal empowerment. Dr. Jan is also an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at UC San Diego and an active member of UC San Diego's Center for Integrative Medicine. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Excited to chat with you today about sort of this integration of healing. So can you talk Uh, first a little bit about what is biofield or bio, the biofield or biofield science?
1: Absolutely. So sometimes I say biofield is a scientific term for a very old understanding. And the way we describe biofield in, you know, in our Western scientific world are basically fields of energy and information that guide our health. So what does that mean? You know, there are parts of the biofield that we know very well already that are easily measurable. Things like our electrocardiogram, right? We put electrodes on the heart and we measure our heart rhythms and they can tell us a lot about our heart health. We do the same thing with electroencephalograms or EEGs where we put electrodes on the scalp and we're basically measuring the electromagnetic readouts from the brain through the head. And those tell us something about our state of consciousness as well as our state of brain health. So these are examples of biofields that we know about, that we already recognize the clinical usefulness of. And then there's a whole other aspect to biofield that is subtle in nature. And this is the stuff that has been talked about by healers and healing traditions and indigenous forms of medicine for decades. So these are things that have been described as prana, chi, Key, subtle energy, you know, in the European uh, traditions, they sometimes call it orgone, you know, a variety of different names for this subtle energy, which was thought um, for, you know, centuries, millennia, really across the globe to be a very important driver of health. And, you know, health meaning health on the physical level, health on the, um, the emotional level, the mental level understanding that these are all connected. So what's interesting is if you talk to a person who says, I do research in biofield science, they could be looking at electromagnetic readouts even of cells. They could be, you know, looking at cell structure. They could be creating devices, for example, that you know put out certain pulses of electromagnetic frequency for healing. Some of those we know are like PEMF, for example, post-electromagnetic frequency um, signals. Um, there are other ones as well. So there's a whole variety of what you can study in biofield science. You can also study subtle energy. And that's what I've done a lot of my research in personally.
0: So when you're studying subtle energies, what does that look like? How do you study that? It's a great
1: question. you know. And so what biofield scientists, I'd say, here in the West are trying to do is marry our modern scientific tools with deeper inquiry into – You know, these states of consciousness that people go into when they're doing healing work and examining the outcomes of the healing work. So it's really not that different from, say, studying even something like psychotherapy in that regard, because... We're just scratching the surface, honestly. You know, you've probably seen those graphics of people looking at different parts of the elephant. And that's kind of how biofield science is right now. One person's looking at the trunk, one person's looking at the tail. You know, everybody's got a piece of the puzzle. In my case, what I do is I study healing therapies like Reiki, therapeutic touch, you know, and healing touch. So many different modalities are out there. And we do clinical trials research, so we look, for example, to see whether or not, you know, one of the studies that I did that was published in the journal Cancer, um, which is great because that's widely read by oncologists, it's a pretty top-tier journal for cancer doctors. Um, We did a study that was a randomized controlled, placebo-controlled trial where we looked to see whether hands-on healing would reduce fatigue in breast cancer survivors And, you know, I don't know how much detail you'd like to go into the study, but I just want to say this was an important study to do because you might know, Amy, that cancer-related fatigue is the number one complaint among cancer patients and survivors. And what some people don't know is that about a third of patients, even after they go through chemo, they go through surgery, they go through radiation, sometimes up to 10 years post-treatment are suffering from debilitating amounts of fatigue. And modern medicine has not really come up with a solution to this. So there's no drug you can take that's going to make the fatigue go away, right? So, you know, we were I'm sitting here as a clinician. I'm a clinical psychologist like you. And I was thinking, well, we've got to do something for these women. There's got to be some solution. So I went to my healing teacher, Reverend Rosalind Bruyere, And I said, if you were going to work with these women that had debilitating amounts of fatigue, what would you do? You know, and how do you understand that as a healer? And she said, well, you know, their vital energy is low you know, they've gone through all of this treatment. And, you know, there are some studies now looking at the effects of chemotherapy and radiation on inflammation and kind of chronic inflammatory, low level inflammation. So, you know, but without even pointing to potential causes for the fatigue, from a healing point of view, and this includes Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, you know, not just um, biofield healing practitioners, they would say the vital energy is depleted, right? This, this Concept that we've had for, for mm-hmm. millennia. This, they're they're basically wiped out. Their vital energy is released, so you can't ask them to go exercise or even learn a new meditation when they're wiped out. You know, you've got to right, give some energy sense. first. So I said, "What would you do?" And she said, "Chelation." And I said, "Okay, what is chelation?" And chelation is a, a common kind of, if you want to call it, technique that's used by many different healers where it's a hands-on technique, Amy. You basically start with your hands on the body, start in Rosalind's version, which is adopted by many other healing traditions. You start at the feet and you work your way up. And if you ask her what she's doing, or you ask other healers who do the same thing, you say, well, what is it you're doing? You've got your hands on this person, what's happening? And they'll say, well, I'm working with the body's vital energy system to stimulate a healing response but I'm also working um, specifically with the bone marrow chi. That's the way Rosalind would describe it, right? I'm working, mm. I'm getting into the bone because she's the, she's the type of healer where she can put her hands on someone and basically feel all the way into the bone, okay? And that's how she teaches her, her students. Different healers do different things, but that's how Rosalind works. So I said, okay, that's interesting. You know, Rosalind's a very highly regarded healer. She's been involved in multiple studies over the years, um, over the decades, honestly. So we said, why don't we try this out? So we studied that um, and we gave people, we gave our fatigued breast cancer survivors
0: eight treatments over four weeks. So that was one group. And you, and you said you controlled for placebo. So I'm guessing they didn't know what they were being treated. Exactly. So they, well, they
1: knew that they were going to be, so we had three groups. One was a weightless control group that, you know, we told them they could get sessions afterward if they wanted, but we just wanted to follow them, you know, as they usually got treatment. And so, you know, anything that they were currently doing for all the people, we said, keep doing whatever you're doing. We're not going to tell you to stop doing anything. But the weightless control group didn't get any kind of intervention. Okay. Then we had the healing group that got the actual healing intervention by trained healers. There were four of them that had experience working with cancer patients. Then we had another group that we called the mock healing group internally, but to our clients or to our, you know, our participants, we said, you know, you may be randomized to either hands-on healing or touch alone, and you won't know which group it is. So if you decide, if you get told you're getting sessions... You're not going to know whether it's actual healing or whether it's touch alone, but both are shown to be beneficial because they are. Touch itself is Mm -hmm. beneficial. So we kind of set up that expectation, first of all, that if you're going to get sessions, you're probably going to get some benefit no matter what you get, because that's the truth. They probably would, Mm -hmm. right? And we wanted to kind of keep the expectations the same. So our skept- we had four skeptical scientists who had absolutely no, no experience in energy healing and who didn't practice yoga, who didn't practice meditation. They exercised. They were young, fit you know, people. Um, but they were really what we would call true skeptics of, of healing. They didn't believe one way or the other. They weren't anti it, and they weren't pro it. They didn't know, and they didn't care. You know, we paid them to do the hand positions. We had all the sessions done in silence. And after each session, we even asked women, well, what do you think you got? you think you got healing or touch? And how connected did you feel with your practitioner? And, you know, how much do you feel like this treatment is helping you? So we measured all of these placebo variables as well as having what we would call a placebo control group. And we put all those variables into the analysis. So when we were looking at the effects of fatigue and cortisol variability, which I'll get to in a minute... We were not only able to compare them by groups, but we were able to put in these variables like specifically the people who believed they were getting healing, regardless of what group they were in. Or specifically, you know, did your belief or in connection with your practitioner drive the effects? Or was it really whether you were in one group or the other? So we really took a very nuanced approach. Mm -hmm. addressing these placebo factors and examining them. And here's what we found. We found that the women who received actual healing dropped down to fatigue levels of what you would expect for someone walking down the street. So it wasn't only statistically significant, but it was massively clinically significant, right? This is after a month. Not only that, but we found that the women that received the actual healing showed improvements in cortisol rhythms during the day. That's called cortisol variability. And I'm sure you and your listeners have heard about cortisol. People call it the stress hormone. Well, like everything in the body, it follows a rhythm. And it turns out that that rhythm of cortisol is actually very prognostic. That is telling of you know clinical indications like depression and fatigue. That is, we find that breast cancer survivors who are suffering from from greater levels of depression and fatigue,
0: have kind of whacked out cortisol rhythms. I guess that's the only way
1: to describe it because they're all...
0: Well, and it makes sense if you yeah. were under a large amount of stress through a long period of time. Yeah. The cortisol levels are probably... Sleep, everything. I mean,
1: everything's just sort of dysregulated. There are all these reasons why you can have that dysregulation. And that's important because cortisol regulates the inflammatory immune system. So when you're looking at, you know, a shift in cortisol rhythm, you're also looking at a shift of the rhythms of the inflammatory immune system. And that's really important for anyone, but particularly breast cancer survivors. So we thought this is an important marker. And what we found was it was only the women in the healing group that showed a a return to a more normal rhythm of cortisol. So we thought that's a really important prognostic. Now, what did we find for the mock group? We found also a decrease in fatigue that was statistically significant. So just coming in and laying on a table, being touched, being in a positive environment, feeling connected to your practitioner, all that stuff matters. That's what we right now call placebo, but we could just honestly call the foundations of good medicine. Okay, so mm-hmm. these things matter. As it turned out, their decrease in fatigue wasn't as much as the, as the uh, women who got the actual healing. So they dropped down to about levels of what you would expect for a breast cancer patient about to go through chemotherapy, according to the data that we have. Okay, so they dropped, but not quite as much. And there was no change in cortisol variability for those, for those women. And this is all also compared to our weightless control group who got nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So the study is published in Cancer, and we did you know a lot of really great deep analysis on that. But I guess the point of it is, it's fascinating to me that you can study these subtle energy, you know, modalities, if you want to call it that, these healing therapies. And here there's no stretching, there's no needle, there are no cognitive effects to explain away the results. That's why I find it so interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not like when you practice yoga or meditation, you're not working with subtle energy. I mean, all of these practices, acupuncture, all of them talk about moving energy in the body. But what's fascinating about studying healing practices is you can't explain away the results with a needle or with stretching or anything else. (laughs) So how does this get under the skin? And this is where the biofield science paradigm is so important because essentially what it's telling us is, you know, we're more than a sack of chemicals, interacting chemicals. We're more than just uh, separate organ systems. You know, we, all of these systems are connected. And Amy, you know, you, you might know this, but some people don't know this. 50 years ago, if you even suggested that the emotions affected the body, you were laughed at. Okay, so the idea that your emotional state actually affected your physiology was considered completely ridiculous. Okay,
0: and I feel like 50 years from now, it's going to be that hopefully you need to first figure out your emotional state (laughs) and then we'll deal with everything else that's going on. Absolutely. So, you
1: know, in the biofield work, I think is really great because now we can get to a level level of subtlety of understanding how deeply interconnected we are. With each other, with the earth, right? We're not just these separate little bags of, you know, mechanical robots, right? We're, our interactions matter. We can feel those in the subtle level. We're deeply connected bioenergetically to the earth. There's a lot of really great work that's being done, you know, looking at the effects of grounding bioelectromagnetically and its effects on inflammation Mm -hmm. and sleep and mood and all these things. So the biofield paradigm, if you want to call it that, is really exploring just how vibratory we are as human beings.
0: So can you explain a little about psychoneuroimmunology? Because you talk about that as well. Absolutely. And really, I see
1: biofield science as an extension of psychoneuroimmunology, though my colleagues, not all my colleagues, may agree. So as I mentioned 50 years ago, this idea that your, your emotional state was tied to your health was considered heresy. And it was actually really hard, just like it is in biofield science now, to get funding to even explore this. But because of some really pioneering work by some of the founding fathers and mothers of the field, and that include people like Bob Ader, Candace Pert, and others, um, we were able to demonstrate that a person's emotional state not only, you know, affected them in terms of like whether they were depressed or anxious, but actually affected their immune system. And, you know, without going into big detail, I will be talking about this in my upcoming book which Sounds True, which will be published in 2021. It's called Healing Ourselves. We'll be getting into kind of some of the nuances there, but... Essentially through studies of conditioned immunosuppression, where they basically gave rats, you know, they conditioned rats to um, have kind of an inflammatory immune response by giving them a certain, what's called LPS. And basically what it does is it, you know, it creates inflammation in the body, more or less. So they, start, they conditioned the rats so that when they would get the LPS, of course, they would have this immune response. But then they substituted the LPS for something that tasted quite like it, but was saccharin based. So it was really only saccharin. So at this point, mm-hmm. the rats, you know, and one can argue there's no placebo effect, who knows, but you know, anyway, um, they gave them saccharin, not the LPS. And the rats actually showed the same inflammatory response. So This is where the scientists said, huh, the central nervous system, the brain, must be connected to the immune system. And so we may look back at this now and say, well, of course it is. But, you know, 50 years ago, people didn't believe that the central nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord were connected with the immune system. So psychoneuroimmunology is looking at the effects of our mental and emotional state on the interactions with our brain in our immune system and even our endocrine system, that's called PNE or psychoneuroendocrinology, right? So the point being that we're learning how interconnected these systems are. Our immune system is not separate from our brain. Our endocrine system is not separate from our brain and it's not separate from our emotions. So it's a, the psychoneuroimmunological model is helping us more deeply understand how our emotional state is affecting our health. And the next level of that I would say is looking at this on a bioelectromagnetic and subtle energy level. So now we can start exploring how these healing therapies that are working with the vital energy, the vital force, you know, when you work on that level, when a healer is helping you for example work through grief or shifting the way prana flows in the body that also has an effect on your immunity and your hormonal level from what we can tell in both clinical studies and in animal studies. So how is that happening? It's happening on a more subtle vibratory level. Um, And that's really exciting because it means that there are multiple ways to intervene. And this idea, again, of spirituality being separate from science is just completely false because our spiritual health is absolutely tied to our spiritual existential health, you know, if you want to call it that, is absolutely tied to
0: our mental, emotional, and physical well-being. Well, and that's a great segue to my next question. Thank you for teeing it up for me. (laughs) Um, How how did science and spirituality become so disconnected? And why do you feel it's important to bridge those worlds? And why is there resistance? I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh, my God, med schools are going to have to completely rethink how they teach Doctor. Yeah, and you know, because everything's so separate. Now. Yeah, and and now
1: we're going, we're moving back with system science into coming back together. But we have to explore beyond what we call materialism and materialistic models that say that everything is only physical, right? Mm-hmm. So the mind-body problem, which is what we're dealing with here, has always existed, right? In science and philosophy and religion and all these things. And I actually get into you know some of the really fun, honestly, and deep, deeper history around how did we get this way, you know, and what did we know before and why did we kind of let some things go? I get into that in the book. Um, But, you know, the short answer is, as usual, as human beings at this time, we all see um, the tendency towards us as human beings to have what we call dualistic thinking. It's either this or that. And so essentially what happened was, you know, way back when, you know, in the 1700s, you know, possibly even earlier than that, we didn't really understand why certain diseases happened. And so we would call them bad spirits, and we would do these rituals, and we would do other things to try to get rid of the bad spirits, but it was only so effective. And then, you know, we came up with germ theory, and all of a sudden, we had antibiotics, and we were able to cure people. And, you know, so that kind of led us towards a more mechanistic, um, materialistic, meaning, you know, looking at material substances like chemicals and drugs to treat the body and rid ourselves of outsiders, right? Meaning outside germs. Okay. So we had, what, what, what was the thinking? Okay. There's a germ, it came into the body, just like the virus, right. That we're talking about now, the virus comes, Mm -hmm. invades the body, takes over, we have to attack it. So there's all these wartime metaphors going on and all of that. And that's all great because all of that is true, but we, we decided, you know, we had a hammer and everything was a nail. So that's the issue, right? So it's either this or that. Either you're totally holistic and spiritual and you don't believe in vaccines or, you know, it's, you know, it's that. So we see that kind of dualistic thinking going on now where people are always trying to pin you in one box or the other. Mm -hmm. So we let go of all of the holistic thinking and examining the body as a cooperative system that interacts with its environment when we started really just going really straightforward into germ theory, materialistic medicine, all of a sudden we saw the body of a machine. It's not coincidental, this was happening right during the industrial revolution, right? Because it's zeitgeist, it's, you know, it's the times, the times shape, the culture shapes our thinking, even in science. So we, you know, we got rid of holism, we got rid of witchcraft, witchcraft, we got rid of all these things, right, because we just couldn't hold both realities. And so I believe what we're coming to now, in every way, certainly in medicine and in science, but even sociopolitically, okay, is we need to come together. Mm -hmm. In the same way, we're not saying that no one should ever take a drug or ever have surgery, you know, or take a vaccine, you know, I certainly wouldn't say those things. I'm not anti any of those things. But I do think that there are probably other solutions there that in some cases, can be potentially more gentle, more non-toxic, and more preventative. And that's really where you know we, we need to be looking now. How do we bring these systems together so that they can function in harmony? And how can we look at holistic medicine as a way of preventing disease before it starts? So instead of getting into a disease model where everything's broken on the physical level already, if you talk to healers or holistic folks, they'll say, you'll see these shifts in the energy system before they manifest in the physical body. Okay, mm-hmm. if that's true... We should be able to develop technology that measures some aspect of the subtle energy system and detects disease before it starts. That's part of, you know, that's part of the game changing, I'd say, preventative
0: medicine technology that is, in my opinion, well within reach. So you pose this question in your TED Talk. Will we have the courage and freedom to explore these more difficult scientific questions when they don't fit in with the current scientific paradigm? Do you think we we will? Yes, absolutely.
1: There's no question. And I mean, I'll just speak a little bit to our nonprofit, Consciousness and Healing Initiative, um, or CHI for short. And for those who are interested, I highly encourage you to visit visit our website.
0: It's www.chi.is or chi.is. And And it will be... No one needs to worry. It will be posted as in my show notes and everything, so people will have access to that. Oh, beautiful! Because we've got some
1: amazing resources we want to share with the community. And basically, we just did a 13-month deep dive into an area that we called systems mapping for healing. And the long and the short of it is, through that process, where we interviewed over 60 stakeholders, we identified over 6,000 publications. We created an infographic for everyone that shows almost 400 clinical studies of biofield therapies that are out there. We identified over 250 just subtle energy technologies that are currently being marketed. There's all kinds of amazing stuff in there. And we, we developed an 81-page report, which is actually very readable, that you can hand to anybody who says, what the heck is healing in biofield science? And like, is there a real dare there? And is it just placebo? That report is awesome. It's really super easy to read. And we have like an 11-page, you know, what we call an executive summary or just a very basic summary of results Um, what we learned is that there are entrepreneurs there are technologists there are over 400 researchers worldwide there are hundreds of thousands of healing practitioners that are ready to take this to the next level so our work was basically to develop a map for what we call systems change okay we have the smattering of evidence now and it's it's honestly more than a smattering but I'm going to be a little bit conservative and say let's say it's a smattering we have you know, 10 to 15 just really stellar preclinical trials with cells and animals that are suggesting that biofield therapies affect physiology. We have numerous clinical trials, although they're small and they need to be expanded and replicated, that are showing the effects of these healing therapies on, you know, not only just natural killer cell cytotoxicity or cortisol variability or other things, but, you know, meaningful things in terms of like post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, that post-traumatic stress decreases, that depression decreases, that fatigue decreases, that suffering decreases. So, you know, the, the question is, okay, how do we get healers more integrated into healthcare? And how do we mm-hmm. also teach people how to sense the biofield and use it as a self-care system? How do we deepen our experience of meditation, of yoga? You know, how do we tap into our subtle energy field, our biofield? And use it to foster our own health. So this deep dive for 13 months was basically trying to answer all those questions. And we have this amazing systems map that basically is charting the way forward. So there is a forward momentum. Many people are involved in it, many organizations, um, many researchers. So, you know, our our folks right now in the business field are saying this is essentially going to be the next mindfulness.
0: This is the next level. Well, you got to get insurance companies on board, Absolutely, right? yeah. And so there's they're, yeah. they're always the ones that are, you know, all about treating disease, but not treating. It's, it's like a defensive strategy versus an, versus an offensive. But I'll tell you, I think they have
1: lessons learned now with, you know, the debacle uh, for treating chronic pain and everything else. I mean, I can't name names, but I spoke with someone who is considered one of the top 10 influential people in Congress right now. And what he told me was, If it works, we want to use it and I will talk to the insurance company. So there are some things that need to happen first. We need Mm -hmm. to have proper certification of healers that respects the diverse fields of study and experience that they have because not all healers are the same. Yet there does need to be, you know, if you want to integrate into the system, you've got to have certification and things like that. And I know there's some healers that are never going to want to integrate into the medical system and that's okay too. But we want to be able to empower them with sharing the evidence behind the practices because that's only going to augment their ability to communicate what it is that they do and the impact of it.
0: So ultimately, what does it mean to heal? So I can give you my answer,
1: which is very simple. And honestly, I think it's pretty resonant with pretty much every healer I've talked to, which is healing is bringing you closer to your soul nature. I love that. I mean, it's really that simple. And it's when you realign with your soul nature that you see these flows of prana shift, you see the other shifts in, in, you know, in your system. So, you know, some healers might explain it more technically, you know, I'm realigning you with your etheric axis, or I'm, you know, I'm rebalancing your pranic system, I'm getting rid of blockages and all of that. But when you get even deeper into it, all healers will say they're not doing the healing. I've never, in fact, I've met many healers now who don't like to be called healers. Because they said, it's not me doing the healing. I'm just a facilitator. So I said, okay, well, Mm -hmm. is healing facilitator okay to say? Or like, you know, how would you describe yourself kind of thing? And most of them want to be described as explorers or, you know, or just helpers.
0: Well, and years ago, you probably know... Daniel Siegel. Absolutely. He's lovely. Yeah. 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 I saw him speak, I don't know, 20 years ago, probably at this point, and just like was enamored. And I'll never forget that he said, we are all fellow travelers on this journey. Just some of us are a little further ahead. And so we're helping those who come to us to to, to journey beside them, basically. And I thought it was such a beautiful way of thinking about it is like- we don't even you know when people come to me i don't heal them i just help them see what they need to heal mm-hmm. that's that's kind of how i think of of my clinical work is just holding a mirror and helping helping that process along for them Um, I love that. What a beautiful, what a beautiful healing is bringing you closer to your soul nature. I love that. Yeah, I really
1: think it's that simple. You know, and again, in the book, I actually kind of describe from the point of view of Jan metaphysics and, you know, Vedanta and things like that. You know, there's actually, they describe the whole process, and we probably don't have a full time to get into it now, but they describe you know, karma and what's karma's role and kind of how it influences the biofield. And, you know, they describe something called the karmic shield, essentially, which is, or, you know, a karmic cloud. So your thoughts, words, and deeds, all of your actions influence your consciousness. I mean, it's really that simple. So when you're realigning with your soul nature, you're realigning with, you know, essentially the depths of who you are. And in Vedanta, you know, we call this sat-chit-anant, right? Because your essential nature Your soul, your spirit, however you want to describe it, your ascent God, however you want to describe it, the essential nature, what some people will call pure consciousness or unbounded consciousness, is ever knowing, ever blissful, ever truthful. So the more you realign with that, the more you're literally clearing, you know, your karmic path to live more in alliance with your soul. Mm-hmm. And you know they have a whole metaphysical model of how how this works, which you know I share in the book. So this is really deep knowledge. And it's not just one culture. It's from many different cultures. So you know, I see part of my role as a bridge builder. I'm uh, East Indian. I was born in South Carolina. All my friends were Baptist Christians. So I had been, you know, (laughs) used to kind of being a a fish out of water, huh? Well, kind of. But I mean, for me, as a deeply curious person, I would go to church with them, you know, and I was like, Oh, I want to learn about this. And, and they would ask me about my religion. And so you know, I think it's really beautiful. We can just start building um, bridges between of understanding between our traditions and cultures and respect each other without feeling like we have to adopt one or the other or be scared of the other one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you really get really deep
0: down into it, it's all one. It's just different language. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you for your time today. If people want to find you, uh, I know they can find you at the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. That will be, all of this will be on my show notes, but go ahead and let them know where else. Yeah, absolutely. Right.
1: Well, um, you can visit my website at shaminejan.com and I'm sure you'll probably have that on the show notes because that's a pretty long URL to try to <laughs> spell out. Um, yeah. So, and I'm, you know, I'm around, I'm be, I'll am i be teaching at Esalen on the what, what a program that I call the Well of Being, which explores well being both from the scientific and the psychological, as well as the subtle energetic. I'll be teaching at Esalen in September so far. That hasn't been canceled. Had a bunch of other programs uh, that were canceled, obviously, because of COVID. And um, I think, actually, I don't know when this is airing, but in May, which is just coming up now, right? Uh, I think May 20th, I'll be doing an Instagram Live uh, with Chopra Global, doing a couple of other Instagram Lives. So I'll be kind of in the virtual circuit for the summer. Um, lots of fun things yeah to explore and I'd love for people to join and and have some fun
0: great well thank you so much today yeah thank you Amy it
1: was my pleasure it was
0: great having you thank you like what you heard today and want to hear more wondering what comes next and what it all means head over to Apple podcast Spotify Stitcher Google Play or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.